The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's reading comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 138, verses 1 through 8. You can follow along in the Bibles underneath the chairs on page 521 or on the screen behind me. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This has been the reading of God's word. So this week we're beginning a season of preparation uh, leading up to Easter, which is going to be on April 1st. And uh, traditionally, throughout the history of the church, uh, this, there's been a season of what has traditionally been called Lent. You guys might be familiar with that. It's a season of 40 days, not including Sundays, that precede Easter. And traditionally, what that has been through uh, different traditions, though not all traditions of the church, uh, many traditions observe those 40 days. And and they use it as a time of preparation to prepare our hearts to get ready for Easter. Uh, they use it as a time of preparation for us to, uh, for us to, as Christians, choose to deny ourselves uh, some sort of pleasure. Uh, some Christians fast uh, certain, certain things or on certain days of the week or uh, whatever throughout the season. And it's what the, the purpose of it is to remind us that the joy of Easter, and it is joyous, isn't really joy until you realize the great need for it. The, the life that we celebrate, the resurrection life on Easter isn't a great thing to celebrate until we realize that apart from that life, we are stuck in death. Until we see the the fact that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, then his resurrection will mean very little to us. And so this is a season that we're in that began actually on uh, February 14th, which is kind of interesting, right, this year that uh, Lent begins on Valentine's Day and ends on April Fool's Day at, at, Christ, at Easter. Uh, um, but it's a season that we're taking to prepare ourselves. So as a church, we're gonna take this month, the month of March, to prepare ourselves in our hearts for, uh, for Easter as we look ahead and the, the purpose that there's nothing magical, there's nothing uh, um, 
any mandatory about celebrating the season of Lent, but many people have found it helpful to observe Lent or to observe the church calendar, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, uh, Lent, uh, Easter, and uh, Pentecost to remind ourselves of the great story that we find ourselves in. Because that's what happens to most of us, right? Like we get caught up in the, the busyness of life and all that's going on and all, everything that seems and is so important and so urgent in our lives that we often forget the most important things. And so what we're gonna do this month is to try to help ourselves remember that. And by doing that, we're gonna be looking at certain psalms or their prayers or songs that are here in the book of Psalms that are gonna help us to prepare our hearts. So this morning we're, we're in Psalm 138, which is a psalm of thanksgiving, a, a song or a psalm or a prayer of thanksgiving. That's what the psalms are. Most of them were written to be songs or to be hymns, to be sung in certain settings. And, but they are also, certainly at the very core, they're songs, but they're also prayers, and so that, that's what we're going to be doing this month of March is helping God prepare our hearts by looking at these psalms that are meant to do that. And this morning, we're going to see three things that are going to help hopefully stir our hearts and refocus us in preparing our hearts for Easter, this Lent season. And we're going to see, number one, we're going to see the trouble, we're going to see the change, and we're going to see the result. We're going to see the trouble, we're going to see the change, and we're going to see the results. First of all, the trouble. So there are certain types of psalms. There's a, there's a whole bunch of them here in the book. And you may look at them and maybe you're, you're kind of, maybe you just read through them and you're like, man, I don't even know what this is bad. I don't know what it's saying. It all seems kind of mixed up to you. But there are certain general kind of large categories that the psalms fall into. So one set of psalms were like psalms of worship or psalms of, or hymns of worship that they used in general worship settings. This is the Jews before Christ would use them in general worship settings. And then there are psalms of lament. We're gonna go over one next week, which is the where the psalmist is crying crying out to God in lament, in mourning, and in, in asking God, God, where are you? What are you doing? Would you please come and answer me? Would you help me? Some psalms are what's called royal psalms, and they were sung when the, the king was around. I guess the, maybe they were, they were special psalms. I don't know. Um, the, some psalms are psalms of wisdom, and then some psalms are psalms of thanksgivings, and there, there's some others that are mixed in, in there. And we're gonna be starting with a psalm of thanksgiving this morning as we begin our preparation season for Easter in order to recenter or center our hearts and our minds on God as we go through the rest of this season. Now, what's interesting about this psalm to me is when I was looking at it, when I was studying it, is that you see that David, who is the writer of this psalm, he writes this psalm of thanksgiving. It's very clearly a psalm of thanks. Is giving thanks to God. It starts off by saying that, right? I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. It's a psalm of thanksgiving that's written by David. But here's the interesting thing that I think is apropos to us. It's a psalm of thanksgiving written by David while he still seems to be in distress. The answer hasn't come yet. He hasn't yet been delivered from the trouble that he's surrounded by. 
And yet he pins this, he writes this thinking towards, this is a psalm that's meant to be sung before the congregation, as the whole congregation of Israel would gather. It was designed before the temple, it was designed to be sung with the whole congregation of Israel gathered as as David, the king, gave his uh, sacrifice of thanks thanking God for delivering him. And yet he's writing that picturing. I'm gonna sing this before the congregation of Israel as I give my sacrifice of thanks. And yet he writes it while he's still in trouble, while he's still in distress. You get that feeling throughout the whole psalm. Here, it may not stand out to you at first, but listen to this. Look at verse one, if you have your Bible. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. And then he says, before the gods, which is an interesting term. So he's speaking about all the false idols or false gods of, that surround, of the people who surround the nation of Israel, which would be the enemies that are against Israel. David and against the nation of Israel. He says, before them, I sing your praise. So he's, he's telling you, he's communicating to you that I'm singing the psalm, I'm writing the psalm of prayer, of, of prayer of thanksgiving before people who are opposed to my God, when I'm surrounded by them. Before the gods, I sing your praise. And then in verse four, he says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. He says that, but all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. He's given the picture that these kings are kings who are arrayed against David. They are kings who are fighting against David, probably in actual, actual physical battle. He's saying they... These other kings of other gods that worship false, uh, that they are worshiping these false gods and these false idols, they are all arraigned against me. They are all coming against me. And before those gods and before those kings, I sing your praise. And those kings that are all encamped around me, they will see your greatness and your glory. And they will, by one way or the other, they will end up confessing and singing. Their song may be a song of conversion or it may be a song of lament on the other side, but they will see and they will sing that you are the one and only true God, that your glory is greater and bigger and larger and more powerful than their false gods. You are going to show their gods up and you're gonna show them up for trusting anybody in in anything other than you. We see it in verse six. He says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So what he's saying is he's saying, he's saying, God, I am lowly. He's acknowledging that the the place, the situation, the circumstance that he finds himself in, he is the weak one in the middle of this situation. And he says, God, you regard the lowly, we'll get to that in a minute, but the haughty you hold from arm's length away from yourself. You see them from afar. He said, I am lowly and I'm weak in this situation. And then in verse seven, He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, though I walk in the midst of trouble. The season of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. 
And on Ash Wednesday, the Christians who observe it, it traditionally begins by going to, Christians going to a service and a minister or a priest taking ashes and rubbing them on the forehead, usually in the shape of a cross of the Christian. And while he does so, he repeats these words. Remember, you are man. You are from dust, or you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are man, you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. That's heavy stuff, right? Like the, 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 the reminder, like you are just a man. There's a tradition uh, back in the, in the Roman Empire that when a centurion or a great leader who has just experienced a great victory in battle, uh, many hundreds of miles away from the city of Rome, he would return to Rome and he'd return to Rome the victor and he would bring in him and his army and he'd bring in all the spoils of war and he would be a great big parade and procession that would come into Rome. And as he came in, there would be people screaming and yelling his praises. Well, they would do something. It was interesting. They would appoint a man to be in the chariot with the great leader. And as thousands of people are screaming your names, it may even be the Caesar himself, as thousands of people are screaming your name and praising you as you come down the avenue, praising your great victory, there'd be somebody in your ear that would be whispering the whole time, you're just a man, you're just a man, you're just a man. And most of us here, we haven't accomplished anything as great as that. Most of us here, except maybe Adam Farrell, don't have people around us all the time crying out, how great are you? How amazing are you? But don't we get deluded? Don't we forget like, just how weak and just how poor that we are? Don't sometimes, if we're really honest, aren't there certain days that if you were really, you're probably not even honest with yourself about these. But aren't there certain days, certain mornings where you wake up and you really think, man, I wish everybody around me had it together as much as I do. You probably don't even admit it, but it comes out in certain ways. I was talking with some people this week about like what, uh, what happens when somebody uh, pulls out in front of you in the highway. Do you know why you get angry? Because you think that person, because we've all been the person who pulled out in front of somebody, right? You, even, either on purpose or accidentally you did it. But somebody else does it in front of you and you think, what a creep, what an idiot. How terrible is this person? Don't they know I am not the person to be pulled out in front of? Do it in front of some other joker that's behind me because where I'm going is important. Don't we do that in our relationships in our dating relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, at work? Don't we do it when your boss tells you, I don't want you to do it this way, I want you to do it this way? Don't you think somewhere in part of you says, who are you to tell me how I should do this? Or to your spouse, or to your friend. Why do we respond that way? We respond that way because we forget that we are but a man we are dust, and to dust we shall return. We forget our weakness. We forget just how low that we are. It's heavy stuff, but we need the reminder. We get so caught up in today and yesterday 
and tomorrow, that we don't let our minds and our lives be framed by the truth that we are from dust and to dust we shall return. We don't let our lives be framed by the fact that there was an eternity before I was born and after I die, there will be an eternity. And we don't let that frame our thinking. And we see that, right? When we lose perspective, it throws things off. I'm a Clemson fan, as many of you know, and so I, <laughs> and so I, when I watch the games, when I used to watch the games when I was younger, I would, I would watch them, and my day would rise and fall, and whether these 18 to 22-year-olds threw and catch the ball well on the field. My day or my week would rise and fall. And as I say that, it sounds ridiculous, right? Some of you who like are into sports, you're like, no, it doesn't sound ridiculous at all. I'm not a Clemson guy, but it happens for me with X team. And some of you who aren't sports at all, you're thinking, that's crazy and totally ridiculous. And it is. It is ridiculous to let my day and my week and my life be controlled by whether they are successful, these teenagers and young 20-year-olds, if they're successful on the field or not. That's losing perspective because my life before that game began and my life after that game ended is not any different. But we do that with life. When we forget that there was an eternity before we were born and there's gonna be eternity after we are ashes again and we lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, it throws everything off. Now, thankfully, the calendar, the church calendar, doesn't end on Ash Wednesday. It ends at Easter, or the season ends at Easter, which is a day of joy. But isn't it good that Christianity and the Bible acknowledges what we, act, what we know to be true deep down? And that's that life is hard. And you know what makes life harder sometimes? is that when you look online and you look on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever it is that you look, or you watch TV and you see the shows and the news reports and the, the people showing all these people living amazing lives all over the world, we are shown people, perfect people who live perfect lives. And when we look at our own lives, it is far from that. And we feel pressure that that's the kind of life that we've got to get to. But the Bible acknowledges, and David here in this psalm acknowledges, that life is full of many joys, but it's also pretty tough. Have you guys found that to be true? Like, there's many things that are joyous in life. But it's also really, really tough. Life doesn't go the way that we think it should go. People mistreat other people. And that's just not people out there like on the news, though we can see plenty of examples of that. But think about your family. Think about your friends. Think about your relationships. People mistreat other people. There's sickness and disease. How many of us have known lives, maybe our own life, that we go to the doctor for a routine visit and we get a call back and our world is racked and changed? Or we get a call from a family member who tells us something that totally changes things. There's strife and division. 
We were talking about some examples of that last week. Life is full of joys, but yet is also full of suffering. I heard a preacher say one time <laughs> as a teenager, it really opened my eyes. I had never thought of it before. He said, here's the truth about life. I can say something about every single person in this room. You are either in suffering, going into suffering, or coming out of suffering, but we're all somewhere on that continuum. Every single person in this room are either in suffering right now, coming out of suffering, or you're heading for it. That is the story of life. It's the human condition. But that's not just out there. It's not just suffering that's out there somewhere. Don't we, if we're honest about ourselves, don't we struggle with and, and, and wrestle with this sort of concept every day that I'm not living up to all that I could be or all that I should be? That could be on a couple of different areas. Maybe it's in some moral areas. You know, I'm not all that I could be or I'm not all that I should be. And you're picturing those things right now as I'm talking. Or maybe for you, it is a sense of like, of, of potential and promise of, of the, you say like, I have a certain like a, amount of giftings and abilities in my life and I'm every night or every day, at some point it crosses my mind, a whisper in my, in my heart and in my mind saying, you're not gonna live up to all that you could be. You have so much wasted potential. You're not gonna earn enough. You're not gonna look good enough. You're not gonna achieve enough. You're not, your marriage isn't gonna be what you thought it was gonna be. Your kids aren't gonna be what you thought it would be. Your career is not gonna be what you thought it would be. We're, we're racked with this idea that either morally or in terms of potential, I'm not all that I could be or all that I should be. We, all of us have secret fears that deep down we're just not good enough. We have secret fears that we either are or will be a failure. And then, more good news, the world is bad out there. My inner world is rough in here and then hanging over each of us is the promise of death that none of us can escape. You are dust and to dust you shall return. Life is a struggle, and then you die. And that's the human condition. There's many joys mixed in there. There's many things that are glorious and good. But underneath it all, isn't life a struggle? And then at the end, to dust we shall return. And that's what you hear, that human condition that is what you hear from David in this psalm and through all the, many of the psalms that he writes. It's a prayer saying, God, I am helpless and I'm hopeless. I'm surrounded by enemies. I don't know if you hear me. I don't know if I can trust you. Are you still there? How long will you wait, O Lord? He's crying out, saying, even in this psalm of thanksgiving, he's crying out to God, saying, I am surrounded by enemies. They face me on every side. I am weak and I am poor. I have no or little control over how things are gonna work out. We need to be reminded that each of us is weak and needy. I, no matter how much I, how good I think I am, how competent I am, I have no control over the stock market. 
I have no control over the political system in America or any, anywhere else. I have no ability to control or overcome the racial tensions that we have in our country. I have even very limited control over my own marriage and family. I have trouble controlling my own life. I'm met every day with the truth that I cannot because things continually happen to me or around me that I have no ability to stop or start. And I do things continually that confound myself. I can't even properly control myself for very long in many areas. I am weak and I am poor. Remember, you're but a man. You're of dust and to dust you shall return. And we need to be reminded of that in this season of preparation for Easter, in this Lenten season. We need to be reminded of that because here's the beginning of the good news, is that only empty hands can be filled. If you think that you've got your life under control and that you can handle things, you will never acknowledge that your hands are actually empty and they can never be filled by somebody else. And that's the problem with many of us in this room, including myself, is that most of us in this room, as I'm looking at you guys and I'm thinking about myself, we are fairly competent and enough in certain areas that we can fool ourselves, delude ourselves into thinking that we've got this. And we end up trusting ourselves and our own ability to help ourselves, to think ourselves through problems and issues, to work ourselves through problems and issues, and we don't acknowledge that our hands are actually empty. And when we don't acknowledge that our hands are actually empty, they can't be filled. When you see that what is around you can't be controlled and what is within you can't be controlled, when you see the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of your own soul, that's when you can actually see God's extreme goodness and his extreme greatness. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty, he knows from afar. It's to the weak and to the poor, the lowly, that he responds. And that, when we acknowledge our empty hands, is when we're really starting to get somewhere. If you wanna grow as a believer, or if you're not a believer here and you wanna you want to find hope as a person. It isn't by puffing yourself up and building yourself up and convincing yourself that you are good and you are strong and people like you and you've got this. It's you get there by going lower and acknowledging this is exactly how weak and how poor I am. And that's when change can begin to happen. There's no promised land without a wilderness, and there's no crown without a cross, and there's no Easter without a Friday. 
And until we acknowledge our need, we'll be left looking around wondering what the big deal is. And we'll be left to our own weak strength and we'll just keep going around and around in circles. That's the trouble. But then let's look at the change that happens. So David doesn't ignore the problem that is surrounding him. He doesn't try to convince himself that he's got this, that he's strong enough, that he's fought enough battles and he knows how to arrange his troops and that if he just pushes through that he can overcome this enemy that's arraigned against him. He recognizes the enemy is too great and I am too low and too poor to overcome this. And then what does he do? Look at verse three. On the day... I called. That's where things began to change for for David. That's what led him to still in distress be able to pin a psalm or a song of thanks to God. Because on the day I called, he called out to God and that is when we begin to see the change and we acknowledge our weakness and our inability to change ourselves and we acknowledge that we are but dust and to dust we shall return. We are just a man that God is God and we are not and we turn our attention to him and we call out to him to help us. That's when the change begins to happen. But this is what's amazing about this psalm is that before the circumstances have even changed, something has changed. Before the enemies are routed and overcome, something has changed. And we see it in the second half of verse three. On the day I called, you answered me. And this is how he answered him. My strength of soul you increase. Now, we kind of missed something there. I don't know what your, your translation or your version says, but we kind of missed something there in most of the English translations. They're, they're trying to get what it literally says, but there's a, there's a, a wording there in the, in the original language that is a, a word of battle. It's the wording of, of strength for battle. Here's what, how some other translations translate it. When it says, my strength of soul, you increased. Uh, it, what it's saying is, you emboldened my soul with strength. You made me bold and you energized me. Or you made me bold with strength in my soul. Or the new, I think it's the new Christian version says, you made me strong and brave. This is an old version, but it kind of captures the picture here. Thou didst answer me, or you answered me, and make me bold and valiant hearted. So this is where the beginning of the change begins to happen. David sees his weakness. He sees the enemies around him. He begins to see that because I am so weak, I need somebody else to save me. He looks to the great and amazing and awesome and glorious God and he calls out to him and God answers him and the way he answers him to begin with is he changes his soul and God grants him strength in his soul and he makes his heart brave or valiant hearted. And all of a sudden to David, the circumstances that look the same on the outside all of a sudden look different. 
Some of you have experienced that in your Christian life. You've been at a point where you recognize you were weak and poor and you cried out to God and nothing, you could acknowledge, nothing around me has changed yet. My health has not changed. My situation in my marriage has not changed. My kids have not changed. My financial situation has not changed. I am still without a job. Whatever the situation may be for you, you cried out to God and you felt it, that things looked different even though you recognized nothing has actually changed around me. That's because God gave you faith. He strengthened or emboldened your soul. He made your heart valiant-hearted. It's not something we can do in ourselves. It's something that he does in the depths of our soul. When David cried out with empty hands, God answered, though he didn't immediately change the circumstances. It reminds me of another famous psalm. If you were reading through our reading plan, we read it this week, Psalm 23, right? Psalm 23, most of us have it memorized, but David says in verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so I am in a dark, scary valley. My son woke me up last night. He was afraid there was a, a rattlesnake in his room. We had to talk about the fact that, have, have you ever seen a rattlesnake in your room? No, I can promise you there is none in here. Have you seen a rattlesnake in our house? He said, no. Have you ever seen a snake in our house? I'm trusting there hasn't been. He said, no, he hasn't seen one. So he said, no. And I said, no, I can promise you there's no snake here. He still didn't trust me. He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to stay up. He wanted to sleep somewhere else. So I went him up there, went, took him up there and laid him in bed. And I said, let me tell you about how David felt whenever he was in a scary place. He was in the shadow of death. And he had enemies encamped around him. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David was in a scary, dark place and enemies were encamped around him. And yet he called out to God and he, this is what he says. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The enemies are still there. The darkness is still there. The valley of the shadow of death is where he is sitting, but things have changed because God is with him and God has given him faith into his heart that has changed him from being fearful to being valiant-hearted and bold. And that's what we feast upon this Lenten season. We, we as Christians, in the middle of acknowledging our empty hands in our own darkness, our own weaknesses and our own fail fail failures and our own sin and the state of the world around us and acknowledging all of that and coming to him with empty hands, yet we get to feast in the presence of our enemies. In the valley of the shadow of death, we get to feast on a banquet table prepared by God because God gives us God-given faith. And that faith isn't blind. It doesn't pretend that those enemies aren't out there or the darkness isn't dark. It just rests on, it rests on and realizes that there is a foundation that is deeper and stronger and sure than the waves that are beating up against the boat right now. It's the secret source of strength for the Christian. It's, it's, it's not just a shot in the dark. It's not blind faith. It's, it's real, even though it's not tangible. It's real. 
within the soul of the believer, it's real. And it has provided the secret source of Christians ever since the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. It's what has enabled Christians to turn the other cheek when they've been struck. It's what enabled Christians to have a secret power to have a joy in the midst of sadness. Have you experienced that as a believer? I have. Where I was in a, a situation of extreme sadness, it's not pretending it's not sad. It's not pretending it's not tragic. It's not pretending it's something that we should weep over. But in the midst of my own tears, in the midst of my sadness, I felt a joy that I knew should not be there based upon circumstances because God had emboldened me and made me valiant-hearted in my soul. It's faith that he gives us that we don't pull up into ourselves, but he gifts to us when we come to him with empty hands and we cry out to him to help. It's what, this, that secret faith that has been the secret power to allow Christians to love when they're hated in return. It's the secret power that's allowed Christians to remain unwavering in times of tragedy. And uncertainty. It's not fake. It's not blind, but it is invisible. It's something that's beyond us, yet within us. It's not something, again, that denies or pretends that the dark is not dark or the enemies are not around. It, but it doesn't have to have, it doesn't have to have perfect circumstances. It doesn't have to pretend that that call from the doctor didn't come. It doesn't have to pretend that our marriage isn't in trouble. It doesn't have to pretend that my children aren't in trouble or my career or my finances aren't in trouble. It doesn't deny any of those truths, but it is a greater truth that transcends and transforms those lesser truths. And that faith is not a faith that's held by our own strength of will. It is held by a, together by a faith that God himself gives to our soul. It's a received faith. When I called out to you, you answered me. And my strength of soul, you increased. And for you this morning, that faith may feel strong, or that faith may be weak. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's enough. And it's as we acknowledge our empty hands that we can receive that change inside our souls even before the external circumstances change. It's a weakness that discovers God's strength and allows us to stop thrashing and kicking around in the water and let God actually come in and save us. And we can rest in him taking us to shore when we don't have the power or ability or wherewithal to get there ourselves. See the trouble, we see the change from a received faith and then quickly, we're gonna look at the result. What happens when we come to God with empty hands and we cry out to him for help? 
and he, we receive a gift of faith from him, well, the first thing that happens is it causes an inner change inside us. It gives us a peace from striving. Wouldn't you like to feel a peace from striving? To be good enough? To be worthy enough? To look like you have it all together? Isn't that a lot of work? And we strive and we work hard We're so tired, but we can't stop ourselves because that's how we get our identity and value. But when we come with empty hands, we no longer pretend and we acknowledge our weakness and everything that's wrong around us and we call out to God, then we receive an inner peace that allows us to cease from striving. We receive an inner peace that is a peace from fear. It's not pretending that I'm not still in the valley of the shadow of death, but it says he is with me and I know his rod and his staff will take me where I need to go. And that's enough for me. It brings a humility. I can rest in being just exactly who I am and don't have to pretend I'm any better or greater than I actually am. Because I understand that my humility, by humbling myself before him, that's how I'm filled. And it brings an assurance in our souls. And that's what David is writing this psalm out of. He's seen no external changes. And yet he knows the foes are gonna be defeated. Listen to what he says. Verse seven Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. And hear this, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And if you're a believer here this morning, that's a true promise to your soul. And no matter what things look like around you, no matter how dark the dark may be, no matter how messed up you may be, no matter those secret habits and sins that you can't seem to overcome, here's the assurance. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And here's how you know it, because he says, your steadfast love, O Lord. Anytime you see steadfast love in the Bible, it's a word that means covenantal love. Your covenantal, forever, enduring love endures forever. And therefore I know you will fulfill your purpose for me. And that results in expressions of thanks and praise. That's why 
David is looking so forward to gathering with the congregation and giving thanks before them and before the competing gods and any competing kings as he declares the goodness and greatness of God. He wants to do that because he has experienced the beginning of the change in his heart and he knows that God will deliver him in the end. Many of us live dull Christian lives. And if you're honest, you, maybe it's something you even think about or you're concerned about. God, I, God seems far from me or the passion I once feel like I had for God is far away. Uh, when I read the scripture, I hear songs about him. It doesn't stir my soul the way it used to. The reason it doesn't for most of us is our hearts have become dull because we've lost perspective and we've forgotten how empty our hands are. And when we forget how empty our hands are, we will forget how great he is. But whenever those hands are empty and he answers us, we cannot help but to respond in thanks and praise. At the core of this Hebrew word, give thanks, that you see throughout this psalm is a word that means to throw or to cast and the picture is that I have so seen and received the goodness and greatness of God that I want to cast those thanks and praises back to him and before everyone else. And that's based upon a change that God has done in my heart that gives me an ability to endure and to trust that God will fulfill his purpose for me because his steadfast love endures forever. And some of that we'll see here as Christians. We'll see him show up and we'll see him change us and our habits and our sins and our heart. He'll see us work in our finances and in our families We'll see him work in our marriages. We'll see him work in our relationships. We'll see him work in all kinds of different areas. And that's, those will be areas of joy. But through all that, we know that the final joy will come when he returns and he makes all things right and he sh takes away every tear that's been shed. As we prepare our hearts for communion, Let's look forward to that. Let's acknowledge our empty hands and let's look at the greatness and the goodness of our God and let's receive faith from him knowing that as we take of the bread and the, and, the, and the juice here, that it's pointing to the day whenever he does conquer every foe and we banquet with him not in the valley of the shadow of death, but in eternal bliss of God's presence forever. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. 
For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.